Open your copy of God's Word with me, if you would, to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Uh, This morning we are uh, beginning a new uh, Christmas sermon series that I have called Christmas Characters, and there are lots of ways to look at the the events of Christmas. And one way that we've not done that, at least so far as I've been a pastor, is to look at Christmas through the lives and through the lens of the various characters that are involved in the Christmas story. And there are countless characters in the Christmas story. Uh, Over the next four weeks, we'll look at just four, uh, specifically male characters that appear over the course of the Christmas story. Today, we're going to look at the character, the person of Joseph, the adoptive father of Jesus. Next, we will look at Herod, the sort of puppet king over Judea. The week after, we'll look at the Magi, those wise men who come to visit uh, the toddler Jesus and his parents. And then uh, the last week, uh, the last Sunday before Christmas, we'll look at Simeon, uh, that Levite, that priest who is serving in the temple awaiting God's Messiah to see Christmas through the lives and through the lens of these individuals. Today we look at Joseph. Joseph, the adoptive father of Jesus. And what we see in his life, the the main idea that we will be looking at and grasping today, is that Joseph, the adoptive father of Jesus, shows us what it looks like when God has changed a man's heart. Maybe said differently, we see how those whose hearts have been changed by God receive and approach Christ at Christmas. Looking at Joseph's life, I would like for us to seek to also have our hearts so changed by God, changed in a way that that Joseph's was to receive and to bring into our lives Christ the way that he did. So let's look at Joseph's life just briefly. Not much is said about him in all of the New Testament. We're going to look at probably the the biggest chunk of what we know about Joseph this morning from Matthew 1, verses 18 through 25. So if you would, where you are, stand with me as we honor God by reading his word. There in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 18, we read, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Joseph shows us what it looks like when God has changed a man's heart. And and we see in Joseph uh, an approach to the advent, to the coming of the Son of God by one whose heart has been changed by God this way. Helps us first to consider who is Joseph? Who is this man that we are looking at? Who is this man that would become the adoptive father of the Son of God? Well, we learn, first of all, that he was in the line of David. He was uh, among the descendants of David, that great king of Israel. 
Matthew tells us this in verse 1, verses 16 and, uh, and 20 of what we read uh, of chapter 1. Now, this is significant, the fact that Joseph comes in the line of David, that he's a, a descendant of David, an heir to the throne of David, because we know from several places in the Old Testament that the Messiah, God's promised Savior, would come from this line. He would be a descendant of David. And so when Matthew tells us that Joseph was a son of David, he was in the line of David, our ears should perk up, our eyes should open a little bit wider. We should be expecting something important to come. There's only one problem, though, with Joseph being in the line of David. There had not been a king on the throne of David in Israel since the last king, Zedekiah, who was killed by Nebuchadnezzar, that Babylonian uh, emperor. There had been no king in the line of David on the throne in Israel for about 600 or more years. The one who was called king, Herod, a man that we'll look at a little bit later, was a Roman appointee. He, he, was, a, he was a political puppet king who was put into that place by the Roman emperor at the time. So Joseph is a man in the line of David, but at this point in time in the history of Israel, it doesn't seem to be of much significance because there's no king on the throne in David's line anyway. We learn also that Joseph is from Nazareth in Galilee. Now, Matthew doesn't tell us this in his gospel, but Luke does in his, in Luke chapter 2, verse 4. What does it mean to be from Nazareth in Galilee? Well, it probably means a whole lot like being from Jal, New Mexico. Uh, Nazareth is, is an important place in our minds because we know that Jesus was from there. But in the day, in Joseph's day, Nazareth in Galilee was like the backwoods, the backwater town. It was a place you had to be trying to go to, to get to. Even nationally, you, you know, speaking, somebody in Washington, D.C. might have no regard for a place like Albuquerque, but at least Albuquerque has an international, sun, an international airport and two uh, uh, interstates that intersect in the middle of the city. Nazareth didn't have anything. Galilee didn't have anything quite like that. Joseph's a man in the line of David from a town of no significance. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13, we learn that Joseph is a carpenter. Joseph was not an aristocrat. He wasn't from among the social elite. He was a man who worked for a living at a job, at a trade that he probably learned from his father. He's not an elder in his town. He wasn't a rabbi. He was, for all intents and purposes, a fairly normal guy. Hands calloused by hard work every day. A man who knew what it was to pull a splinter out of his finger. One who wasn't afraid to sweat a little bit at work carpenter, normal guy. We learn also from Matthew's gospel, what we read this morning, verse 18, that Joseph was, at the time of uh, the announcement of Jesus' coming, that he was engaged. Engagement in the ancient days was as serious as marriage. In fact, the only way to get out of an engagement was to get, an, uh, uh, to get a divorce. Joseph was, at this time, probably a relatively young man, maybe in his late tween- teens, maybe his early 20s. Mary herself was probably much younger, maybe in her early or mid-teens, which was the normal marrying age for men and women of that time. Usually those marriages were arranged by the parents, by the families of the two that were married, and oftentimes there would be a a dowry exchanged, a a gift given on behalf of the husband to the family of uh, of the woman who is going to be married. It's a very formal process, and once two people were engaged, they were as good as married, except for uh, you know, the final sealing of that ceremony. 
Oftentimes you may see in artistic depictions of Joseph a much older man, maybe gray-haired, balding, a long beard, holding the infant Jesus. But this is probably uh, not an accurate picture of Joseph. Usually these depictions of Joseph are based on extra-biblical assumptions that he was previously married to another woman and widowed before being engaged to Mary. But there's nothing in the text of the Gospels to give us that indication All of this to say, he's in the line of David, he's from Nazareth in Galilee, really a place not from anywhere. He was a carpenter, he was engaged, a young man. All of this to say that Joseph, for all intents and purposes, was an ordinary guy. Joseph was an ordinary dude. There's not a lot special about this man. Yet we see that God uses ordinary people like Joseph for extraordinary purposes. Who would have picked Joseph out of a crowd to make him the adoptive father of the incarnate Son of God? Probably not me. I'm too selfish. I look too much at outward appearances. Maybe you're the same way, but not God. We know that God doesn't look at what's on the outside, but that He looks at the heart of a person. And what God sees in the heart of Joseph, this ordinary man, I think is a heart that is been changed by God, a heart that that longs to serve God, to please God. Joseph was an ordinary guy, and God uses ordinary people for extraordinary purposes. Dear friends, you're probably an ordinary person. You are probably an average individual. I am an ordinary person, an average individual. The good news is this. God intends to use ordinary people for the extraordinary purpose of bringing people to Jesus. He shows us this pattern with Joseph, this ordinary man through whom God does extraordinary things and calls him to do extraordinary things, to fulfill his purposes. Dear friend, if you are ordinary, there is hope for you as we look at the life of Joseph this Christmas season to know that God uses ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary purposes, to bring people to Jesus. You may not come from a an aristocratic line. You may not have celebrities or or famous politicians in your family tree. You might come from a place like Jal, New Mexico. You may have a blue-collar job and calloused hands from a life of hard labor. You may be young and engaged. You may be old and married for a long time. Everything about your life may be unimpressive to the outside, absolutely ordinary, totally average. And the good news is God uses people like this for his purposes. Who is Joseph? He's an ordinary dude used for extraordinary purposes by God. But what is Joseph like? We've looked at kind of just the the particulars of his life, but, but, but what about his character? What about the man, Joseph? Who is this? Who is he on the inside? What is he like? Well, chapter 1, verse 19, as we read, shows us that he is a just man. He's a righteous man. Verse 19 says, Her husband, Mary's husband, Joseph, being a just man, unwilling to put Mary to shame. The word for just or righteous is the Greek word dikaios. It means upright. It means blameless. It implies not that Joseph was sinless, but that Joseph is a man who knew the law of God, who loved the Lord, 
and a man who lived in a blameless way according to the law. There, there, there were no major, unrepentant, unrecognized sins in his life. He was a man who lived longing to please the Lord. Was he perfect? Was he sinless? No. But was he, was he living in such a way as to please God and honor those around him? Yes. The righteousness, the justness of Joseph is different from the self-righteousness of the Pharisees who we see interacting with Jesus later in his earthly ministry. Those Pharisees who, who love to tout and to brag about their supposed holiness, showing off how well they kept the law to those who were watching. Joseph's righteousness is not like that. Joseph's righteousness is quiet. It's humble. It's unassuming. He lives his life to please God, not to impress people. His righteousness, his his justness, his desire to please God and to honor others is probably what is prompting his plan to divorce Mary quietly, as verse 19 says. He's a just man, unwilling to put her to shame. He resolved in his heart to divorce her in a quiet and an unassuming manner. Adultery during an engagement in Joseph's day was as serious as adultery in the context of marriage. It was to break the marriage vows even before they'd ever been made. And adultery, even during engagement, was grounds for a divorce, for a breaking off of that marriage. Consider all the things that were maybe going through Joseph's mind at this time. If Joseph married Mary, knowing that she was pregnant, and everyone else probably knowing that she was pregnant as well, he would be essentially admitting that he was the father of the child that she was pregnant with. And yet we know that that's not true. If Joseph divorced her publicly, as the law would have allowed him to do, he would have saved his reputation. He would have been vindicated as a righteous, as a blameless man, but her reputation would have been absolutely devastated and destroyed in the community. So in his mind, not wanting to admit that he's the father of a child that isn't his, and not wanting to put her to such shame in the community that she could never live a normal life again, he decides to divorce, divorce her quietly. Uh, in, a, in a private fashion, between just a couple of her other witnesses, as the law of God allowed. In this procedure, he would probably get his dowry back, you know, the gift that was given to her family uh, as she uh, was married off to him. He would get that in return, and he would return married to her family, and she would be able to go on and perhaps marry somebody else down the road. They would both go back to somewhat of a normal life and maybe some hurt to deal with, but overall dealt with things rather, rather quietly and, uh, and respectfully. Joseph is a just man. He's a righteous man. He wants to do things the right way. He wants to please God and honor others. Joseph's character as a just man makes me ask myself the question, and I hope you too, am I a person like this? Am I a just, righteous person? Not, not, not in a way that I'm sinless, that I'm blameless, that, 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 that I can just show off my character to other people, but do I, like, like the psalmist of the Old Testament, do I love the law of God in such a way that I would hide it in my heart so that my every desire and every motive, like, even like Joseph's, would be to please God by reflecting on His holiness in every part of my life? Am I a just person because I seek to please God more than others? Joseph was. We learn also that Joseph is a considerate man from verse 20. He's a thoughtful man. That he was considering these things. He was considering what to do, his options for how to deal with this situation that he finds himself in with Mary, who's now pregnant before they've ever been married. I think it's fair to assume that, as verse 20 says, that Joseph was considering these things. 
that Joseph is not an impulsive man. He's a thoughtful one. He's not one who, who makes rash or quick decisions, but he's a, he's a guy who, who weighs his options. Put yourself in Joseph's position. How easy would it, to be, how easy would it be to, to say to Mary, this woman that you're engaged to, and you've probably known most of your life, to say to her, that's it, we're done, this is over, you go your way, I'll go mine, you're on your own, we're finished. Now for the person who thinks only of himself, for the very selfish person, perhaps it is easy to, to take all the pain and, and emotion of the moment and throw it back on Mary and say, that's it, we're through. But Joseph doesn't strike me as such a selfish person, does he you? There are massive consequences to the decision that Joseph will make with regard to Mary, his fiancée. And though we're not led into the inner workings of Joseph's mind, Matthew doesn't tell us all the things that he was thinking, we do find that this man, Joseph, exhibits the kind of thoughtful consideration that comes with especially wise and godly men in Scripture. Joseph is considerate. He's thoughtful because he's wise. And he's wise because... As Psalm 111 verse 10 says, he fears the Lord. Psalm 111 verse 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. All who practice it have good understanding. Joseph is a wise man. I believe he's wise because he reveres and he worships God above all else. He lives to please the Lord and that gives him wisdom. His wisdom makes him considerate. His wisdom makes him ultimately compassionate about the way that he, just consider how he wants to break off this engagement that he thinks has been, you know, defiled by, by something that has happened in Mary's life. Joseph is a considerate man. He's a thoughtful man. He's wise in his decision making. Friend, what marks your decisions most of the time? Thoughtful consideration or impulsiveness? If you're a thoughtful person, Do you consider how decisions that you make will impact you first? Or are you thinking of how they'll reflect the character and the will of God? I'm the kind of person who will stand in a grocery store debating. I think of myself as a considerate person. But I'll stand in a grocery store debating for minutes whether to buy name brand canned corn or generic brand canned corn. You save 50 cents between the two. And I'm the kind of guy who will be paralyzed uh, by the, the, the decision to be made. And not just small things, but big things too. I'm the kind of person, I, I just have paralysis, uh, anal- paralysis of analysis, analysis paralysis, whatever you want to call it. I have a big decision to make. I want to make the right decision. And so I'll think about it to the point where I confuse myself so that I can't even make a decision. But you know what drives that kind of thinking most of the time? Selfishness. What am I going to do with the 50 cents that I save on a generic brand can of corn? I'm going to spend it on myself in some other way. I don't think Joseph is that kind of guy. I think Joseph is the kind of guy who thinks with godly wisdom about every decision that he makes so that the outcome doesn't just, with all the thought that he's put into it, doesn't just benefit him but glorifies God and honors God. If you're a considerate person, like I like to think that I am, What goes into your consideration? What motivates your consideration? Is it what do I get out of myself for it? Or how will God be honored by the decision that I make? Some of you are impulsive people. Some of you don't even stop to think about what can of corn to buy. You you don't even buy corn. You skip right past it to the candy aisle, the bulk candy aisle, 
with a bag and the big scoop, and I don't blame you. If you're an impulsive person who makes quick decisions that are usually emotionally driven, think this morning for a moment about what would change about your life if you were to start in your decision-making with worship of God before ever paying attention to your emotions. What if you were to start as an impulsive person, to start with worshiping God before listening to your emotions, before listening to your feelings, before rushing to the candy aisle considering, how does that lead me to honor and glorify God with my life? I'm not saying that it doesn't. I believe there's common grace of God in the candy aisle, especially gummy bears, but that's another sermon. Joseph is a considerate man, and his consideration about what to do in this situation, the kind of character that he has, is driven by, I believe, a desire to please God. He fears the Lord, and his fear of God, his worship of God, gives him wisdom that makes him considerate. We learn third about Joseph the person, that he has a kind of faith that prompts obedience. We see this in verses 24 and 25 of our passage this morning, but we also see it in Matthew's gospel, chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, and also in chapter 2, verses 19 and 21. Now, in our passage this morning, when Joseph is visited by this angel in a dream, the greatest of his fears is addressed. The good news is Mary has not cheated on him. She has not defiled their marriage. She is pregnant by the work of the Holy Spirit, but she's still pregnant. Right? So, so Joseph's conundrum, his problem is not totally absolved by the visit of this angel. Nevertheless, he's told, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because God is at work in her in a miraculous way. He's at work in a miraculous way in the life of your young family, Joseph. Don't be afraid to do this thing. Joseph is to be, the angel tells him, the adoptive father to the Son of God the adoptive father to Israel's long-awaited Messiah. Some of you are adoptive fathers. Some of you are foster dads, foster moms, adoptive moms. Think of the, the, the weight that comes with bringing a child that you did not birth into the world to bring that child into your home, to make them their own. It's a significant decision. It's a life-changing decision. And put yourself in Joseph's shoes and knowing that in so adopting someone into your family, adopting a son into your family, you're not just bringing a son in, you're bringing the Messiah into your home. Don't be afraid, the angel says. Now notice what happens when Joseph wakes. Matthew tells us he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. The exact same thing, the exact same pattern appears in chapter 2, verse 13, and chapter 2, verse 19, where again, Joseph is visited by an angel in a dream and instructed in the first place to take Mary and the young child, Jesus, out of, uh, out of Judea into Egypt because Herod is trying to kill him. And then a, a second time where angel appears again saying, it's okay, Herod's dead, you can take your family back to Judea. And in both cases, when Joseph awakes from those dreams, just like he did the first time, we see the same pattern. He does exactly as the angel commands. Joseph's faith in God leads him to trust implicitly the command of God so that when God speaks, Joseph acts. There's no hemming and hawing. There's no delay. There's just immediate and total conformity to God's will. Joseph has a faith that prompts obedience. What if we were to judge the strength of our faith by the speed of our obedience to God's word? 
What if we were to judge the strength of our faith by the speed of our obedience to God's word? What do you suppose we might learn about our own trust in God? Be honest with you, I'm a little bit afraid to test the strength of my faith that way. Because I know that I'm not always quick to obey God's word. I know there are times where I read something in God's word and it does not strike me in a way that I am, I am really excited about obeying. What does that say about the strength of my faith? Now look, God may not be speaking to you in dreams and visions like he did to Joseph, but he has spoken clearly to us in his word, hasn't he? There are in our Bibles many clear commands of God for his people to follow that we should, if our faith is sincere, obey immediately. Commands like loving God supremely, loving others sacrificially. Commands like trusting Christ only for salvation. Commands like ministering in the name of Jesus to all people. Commands to make disciples. Our faith in God ought to bring out quick and joyful obedience to these clear commands, like we see in Joseph, this man whose heart has been changed and shaped by God. Now, of course, there are some things that God calls us to individually that he does not call all people to. Like Joseph, God calls some of us to open our homes to foster and adopt children as their own. For others, God calls them to leave the closeness of extended family, to take the hope of Jesus to faraway places like those missionaries that we support through the International Mission Board. Still others, God calls to innumerable hard and mundane lives alike. In all of this, know that those who have a heart that is changed by God, a heart that trusts the Lord in all things, will respond with immediate obedience because of their faith in a great God who does great things through average people. Joseph is the kind of man who has a faith that inspires quick obedience. Finally, we learn about Joseph, the adoptive father of Jesus. From verse 21 of our passage this morning, that Joseph is a man who receives his Savior. He's a just man. He's a considerate man. He has faith that prompts obedience, but he's also a man who receives his Savior. Joseph is like us in many ways. Joseph is like us most in the fact that he too is a sinner in need of salvation. The boy that was growing in Mary's womb, the angel says, is to fulfill the scriptures of a promised Savior. His name will be Jesus, Yeshua, which means Yahweh is salvation. The Lord will save Because that's exactly what this boy will do. He will save his people from their sins. Joseph is just one of those people in need of salvation. But faced with this reality that the boy that is growing in Mary's womb is the Savior of the world, Emmanuel, God with us, Joseph does not retort back to God saying, Savior, who needs a Savior? Don't you know what you're asking? You're asking me to raise him. And you're telling me that he's going to be the one that saves me? Hardly. In fact, Joseph doesn't reply at all. Did you notice that? We don't hear a peep out of Joseph this entire time. His silence speaks volumes. Knowing full well that the Son of God who will be born just months from the moment of this dream, knowing that that child will be the Savior that Joseph and his ancestors had been waiting for for millennia, he receives the news and prepares himself to live by faith in his adopted Son, the Son of God, Jesus the Savior. Can we say that Joseph is a good man? Yes, I think so. But Joseph is not perfect. 
He's not, he, he, is a, he is a selfless father and husband, I think we see in the way that he works out, but he's not sinless. Joseph's not perfect. Joseph needed someone to save him from his sins, the same as you or me. As good a man as Joseph was, his morality could not erase his sins. His good deeds, even the the good work of bringing the Savior of the world into his home, could not in and of itself justify him to God. His nobility, his good character, could not make him right with his Creator. Joseph needed the same blood-bought rescue from sin that every sinner requires. Joseph needed the same salvation through the death and resurrection of that boy Jesus that we all need. We don't hear much more from Joseph in Jesus' life. Search the Scriptures, you won't find it. Joseph probably died before Jesus ever began his public ministry. We don't hear anything about Joseph, even though we do about his mother and his half-brothers and sisters during his ministry. But friends, we have every indication to believe that Joseph looked on the child that he would raise into a man with faith and hope and trust that this boy... Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, was the only way to be made right with God. Joseph receives his Savior. Joseph shows us, friends, what it looks like when God has changed a man's heart. Joseph shows us what it looks like for someone whose heart has been worked on by God to receive Christ. God shapes hearts through faith. He shaped Joseph's heart through his faith. He shapes hearts today, specifically, even through faith in Jesus. How about you, friend? Have you come to see your need for a Savior like Joseph? Have you come to see your need to be right with God? Has the reality of your sin, your rebellion against God, become clear to you? And the desire to have a clear conscience before God, has that weighed on your heart this morning? Does it poke at your conscience to think that God could use you in extraordinary ways as he did Joseph, this man of faith? This morning, I invite you, friend, to deal with all of these realities. Have your sin forgiven this morning. Be made right with God. Enter into his purpose for your life by, like Joseph, trusting Jesus, the Son of God, who died to pay for your sins as Savior today. Friend, if you've not come to trust Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, the Savior of the world, do it today. Those of you who have been walking with Christ many years, look at the life of Joseph. Pray that God would change your heart to live in the world with obedience to God and trust in Christ the way that he did Joseph. Pray that God would help you to display this in the world this Christmas season.